These are what would be considered maverick women. And so we'll look at those, and the other one will be a mother of a lost son. So um, uh, as we look at this, uh, I want us to think about God and how, what he's doing. And you know how God works. It's very important that God is in control. We don't put him in a little box, and we don't make him work a certain way. He works the way he wants to, and he desires to, and he sees fit to, and the best way to. And so it may not be the conventional way that we're used to, but it will be the way that he desires to. And God is sovereign. He is in control. And we'll see this, and he works in unique ways to get his purpose, his uh, plan, his will accomplished. And he'll be working through these women in a unique and special way and it's neat to see this and so as we look at this I want us to pray that God will open up our eyes our hearts to the truth and that we will uh, get the message that God has for us to challenge us to do what he would want us to do to bring honor and glory to his name and to further his kingdom here on earth so let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time father I just want to thank you for this day and Lord for uh, all that you mean to us I want to thank you for your wonderful love and grace and Lord without your love and grace none of this would be possible it's all about you it's not about me it's not about anyone else it's all about you and when it's all about you then we see how much we're loved by you and Lord we appreciate it and and it makes us feel better and and Lord, we uh, certainly are challenged to do more when we look at life that way. But if it's all about us to begin with, then all we're going to be doing is accomplishing what we want to try to accomplish for our own selfish purposes. And, and Lord, we'll never be satisfied. Satisfaction comes only through knowing you and doing your will and, and the Lord allowing you to be uh, number one in our lives to be honored to be lifted up to be glorified in everything that we say and do so we just pray that you open that truth up to us during this time and I pray that that as only you can that you will open our hearts and our minds to what you want us to hear and I pray that we'll be challenged by that that we will be uh, encouraged by that that we'll be strengthened by that that we'll be convicted by that whatever it might be uh, whatever you want to do in our lives, I pray that we won't stand in the way, but we will certainly allow you uh, to use us and us be the ch uh, channel by which we're obedient in allowing you to work and do and accomplish what you want to accomplish. So thank you for this opportunity. We pray for your honor and your glory throughout this service. In Jesus' name, amen. It is wonderful to to look at God's word and it's wonderful to be able to uh, to look at it with you and and to be challenged by God as we look at it and I hope that we are this evening uh, just like this morning I hope that we were challenged by God through his word not because of me but by because of God now if it was because of me it was only because of uh, uh, Stephen given fixing the coffee Stephen where are you uh, is he in here okay so uh, he's out there. He fixed the coffee for me this morning, and instead of putting one cup in there, he put two cups. He didn't tell me that. So I was perked up this morning, but uh, I fixed it this evening. But 
So it'll be all about God, this, uh, especially this evening, I hope. But as we come to uh, uh, this passage, I want us to think about how God uses people in a unique way, in a special way. You know, my, uh, my mom, in growing up, uh, moms are very special to us. Uh, I, I was the one that was always outside doing things and having a great time and and she was always a mother that was always wondering where I was I guess and this type thing but uh, she was a mother that you could count on she was a mother that would stay by your side she was a mother that stayed by my side uh, through thick and thin I mean when I got hurt she was at the hospital with when I was playing ball messed up both knees she was there at the hospital when I broke my leg two places, she was there at the hospital. You know, when, whenever uh, something like that, when I was sick, she was there to uh, take care of me when I was growing up and, and a young boy. And I knew that stability was there. You know, we, we all know how important mothers are to us and the world at large. And we all have one. That's one thing that we can, uh, we can count on, whether our relationship with our mothers are, is a happy one or an unhappy one. We, uh, you know, we, we can't deceive ourselves and shouldn't deceive ourselves in the sense that we, uh, we don't owe them our very existence because we do biologically. Our mothers, uh, we owe them not only in that sense, but we probably owe them much, much, much more. And I know that I... I uh, did to my mom. Motherhood extends through generations. And um, we go from our great-grandmother, you know, we, th we hear talks about them to our grandmother, to our mother. And, and, you know, it goes on back further than that. But the, uh, the influence there is immense, if you think about it. And to have a song in this day, and this is what we're looking at, the song of Deborah and Barak, but especially Deborah, to have a song in that day of dark judges. When, when the days were dark during the uh, days of judges, it was not normal. It was unique. And not only that, but to see how prominently women uh, are featured in it, not just women, but mothers, is unique. And so... Uh, three mothers or three women will be discussed from this chapter, chapter 5, this uh, chapter uh, where we have the song of Deborah. And the first being Deborah, the second being Sisera's mother, and the third being Jael. So let's look in chapter 5. It says, Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, That the leaders led Israel that the people volunteered, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O rulers, I to the Lord, I will sing. Who, who's she singing to? Not to really the people around as much to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when thou didst go from Seir, when thou didst march from the field of Eden, the earth quaked, the heavens also dripped, even the clouds dripped water. The mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord. Then Sinai, at the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, 
In the days of Jael, the highways were deserted and travelers went by roundabout ways. The uh, peasantry ceased. They ceased in Israel. Until I, now this sounds like she's bragging, but we'll get to that. Deborah arose until I arose, a mother in Israel. New gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel, the volunteers among the people. You who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who travel on the road, sing. At the sound of those who divide flocks among the watering places, there they shall recount the righteous deeds of the Psalms, the righteous deeds for his peasantry in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, sing a song, arise, Barak, and take away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then survivors came down to the nobles. The people of the Lord came down to me as warriors. And then she goes into the list of who participated and who didn't. Now let's look at a few things here about Deborah. On that day, of course, refers back to the previous chapter of the historical account of, the, uh, of what went on in, in, uh, with the battle between them and the enemy. The circumstances in which Deborah were uh, in were very desperate ones. And we need to understand that. I mean, it wasn't a, a pleasant time to live. And the Israelites had been oppressed by Jabin, king of Canaan, and his tough general, Sisera, who had all those 900 chariots. And so uh, they had been uh, oppressed for 20 long years. Now, if you're oppressed for that many years, you really can get depressed. You can get discouraged. You can, give, you can just give up any hope in what's going on. You can pray and pray and pray and not see results. What they did not uh, uh, realize at the time was that there was a need for them to repent, to turn. From their evil ways. You know the cycle that goes on in Judges over and over and over again. And so they wondered if they were ever to be delivered. And in chapter 5 we're told that the roads, in the verses that we read, the roads were abandoned because the people were afraid to use them. And so what had been busy at one time, you no longer saw it. And with that, when the roads were abandoned, then they... Uh, they had that they did not have that community that went on that community of fellowship and and uh, so they were invisible if you will they hid as they traveled nobody knew where they were village life ceased because of normal community activities uh, uh, being impossible uh, during that difficult time it was every man and his family for themselves and so war was in the gates, it says, and, and uh, it was threatening every town in Judges chapter 5 in verses 6 through 8. So it was desperate days. You need to look at this situation. It wasn't pleasant time. It wasn't an easy time. It was desperate days that Deborah was in. And 
she emerged out of a chaotic time. That's very important. During this time, Israel had abandoned the covenant faithfulness with their God, Jehovah. Everyone, as we see in, in uh, that was popular statement for judges, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. So this is the time. And Deborah, the one that arose, that God brought up, she was the wife of Lapidus, it says. She was a domestic lady. She had a family, evidently, they say, but we're, not, we're told virtually nothing about it. But the way that the imagery that they give of her, they say that she was probably a mother. The reason was that uh, the focus uh, is, is on how she took care of Israel as a mother. And so the focus, though, the reason that a lot's not talked about her life, it's not about her as much as about the situation. In other words, it wasn't about the family life as much as it was about the public life that God was trying to emphasize. The public life was Israel's condition. They were sinful. They were living away from God. And here we see that she is a prophetess from these two chapters and a judge. And it was through her that God raised up Barak or Barak or however you want to pronounce him, the deliverer, and broke Israel's bondage as, you know, from Jabin and Sisera. And so uh, she was a figure somewhat like Samuel, if you will. She was not a warrior, but a critical agent of change. In other words, she was used by God in a special way. And it was what she was doing that her motherhood or whatever was most apparent, they say. She was judging Israel at that time. She was acting as a mother to them. It was during the times that Israel needed mothering because they were acting like a two-year-old spoiled, rotten, whatever you want to say. They were doing their own thing. They were having what they wanted and, and they were living away from God and away from any kind of, of uh, you know, uh, control or, or someone being in charge, authority, if you will. And so she was uh, not a judge in the way that the term is most commonly used in the book. It is Barak, not Deborah, that's mentioned over in Hebrews 11.32, who is remembered in that way with Gideon and Samson and Zephthah. So, but God's word never underestimates the power of a woman and the strategic importance of, of her influence for good or evil on human uh, destinies receives this prominent uh, attention throughout sacred history. She was a woman used in a mighty way. The most outstanding evidence in Deborah is Deborah just did something quietly that needed to be done. It said that she used to, in Judges 4 or 5, she used to sit under the palm of Deborah uh, between Ramah and Bethel. 
in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So there was cracks of disunity and brokenness that had affected Israel in a big way. And isn't that the way uh, Satan wants the church to be? Broken and full of disunity. And here though God never gave up on Israel and praise God he doesn't give up on the church and he uses people and sometimes people that you would not think would be used. And so, uh, you know, Israel here, they were broken and, and uh, you know, she couldn't, uh, Israel could not defend herself against the enemy on her own. There were so many internal divisions and brokenness uh, that uh, she needed to be healed first. And they, there needed to be a repentance. There needed to be a coming to that acknowledgement uh, that, that God could use them again, but they needed to be right with God. And so Deborah, with her contribution, helped in the he healing process. Some characteristics of Deborah. She was a woman of character. She was a woman of wisdom, sound judgment, concern, and authority. She was a mother to Israel, as I said, in chapter 5, verse 7, which they desperately needed. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. That was pointed out. She wasn't bragging about this. She was just letting them know the condition of Israel. She was letting them know where Israel was and what they needed. They needed someone to pull them together, to mother them, to bring them uh, to that uh, togetherness. And Deborah's spiritual inf uh, influence was such that when she sent a message to Barak, he came. No hesitations, he came in Judges 4-6. And uh, Barak's request for her to accompany him uh, you know, was a sign that he recognized her as a prophetess of the Lord and one whom he and his poorly equipped army could rely on for guidance and support and direction. And so it was Deborah who directed Barak to muster an army of, of uh, 10,000 men. She was also a poet as we see her writing this this uh, song along with Brock or singing it with Brock. It's evident from the song that uh, she was, uh, you know, uh, she was used of God in a mighty way as a poet. It is as a prophetess and judge that Deborah records her song uh, that the participants and non-participants of each tribe, which I mentioned followed in the following verses, uh, participated or didn't participate. And though she and Brock sang the song together makes clear that she must have been the composer of it as she wrote it and knew it very well. But she was a maverick. You say, how was she a maverick? Well, during the time that she lived was during the patriotic or patriarchal society where everyone knows that God had given the responsibility to whom? To men, to headship in the family. And the nation were led by men. Uh, Deborah judges a nation and gives orders to a man in God's name. That was a maverick. She was exceptional. Deborah was, matter of fact, the only woman to exercise public leadership 
in the book of Judges. We know that this is the way that God had it from the very beginning, wasn't it? Uh, Adam is created first, and then Eve is his companion and helper. When the woman sins, it is her husband who is first called to the account. Not her, but her husband. Because as the leader in the relationship, he is the one who is responsible before God in Genesis 3. And from that point on, all those who exercise the leadership are basically men. You see Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Othiniel, Ehud, Shamgar, all of these. Miriam, I know the sister of Aaron, is, is called a prophetess in Exodus 15, 20, but only in her role of, of leading the, the women here in a song of praise to God, it seems. There is simply no precedence for what Deborah does in Judges 4, so she is a maverick. God is using her as a maverick. But you know, what the sad thing is, is when you can't find any male leadership, to take on the responsibility that they should. God will show us and humble us that he can use anyone. Situation doesn't change even after her. No other judge or prophet in the book of Judges is, is a woman. In, in the rest of the Old Testament, you've got uh, Athaliah briefly rules as a queen in her own uh, ride in 2 Kings, and Huldah, the prophetess, is featured in 2 Kings 22, and an obscure prophecies, uh, Noadiah is mentioned in Nehemiah 6, um, uh, 1. But like Deborah, these are the exceptions. But God uses. We can't box them in. God uses and will use whomever he pleases in whatever way he pleases. It may not be the norm. And it may not seem like that's what ought to be done. But to accomplish his purpose, he'll do what he so pleases. He's God and he's sovereign. And so in turn, we see that Deborah was a uh, maverick. But she was, uh, she's a healer too in being this maverick. She's not an agent of disorder. She is a healer of Israel. You know, uh, they were broken. She's, and she wasn't a part of that brokenness. As a matter of fact, she... She did the counseling and she talked to them and dealt with them. And, and she also seems to recognize the limits of what is uh, appropriate for her to do. And that's important. She, uh, she calls and commissions Barak for battle, but she does not usurp uh, Barak's position of leadership. She knows that leading Israel into battle is men's work and she's content to support him in the role rather than assume that role for herself. She does what God calls her to do. She is no proto-feminist with an ideological objection to male leadership or any distinction between male and female roles. Deborah is a godly servant worthy of praise, and they sh no one should use this out of context from that. She is a woman that was willing to be used by God. Well, let's look at the mother of Sisera. Look in verses 28 through 31. Uh, it says, Out of the window she looked and lamented. 
the mother of Sisera, through the lattice. Why does his chariot delay in coming? Why do the hoofbeats of his chariots tarry? Her wisest princesses would answer her. Indeed, she repeats her words to herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A maiden, two maidens for every warrior. To Sisera, a spoil of, of dyed work, a spoil of dyed work embroidered. Dyed work of double embroidery on the neck of the spoiler. She seemed so ordinary here. A caring mother, believing as any mother would in circumstances in which she finds herself to be concerned about her, her, her son. Not seeing him and not hearing what has happened. She's on the losing side though. Her loss is terrible. Her loss is her son. She waits, it seems, for eternity for a son who never returns. Her maidens try to comfort her. She tries to believe them, but deep down she knows that something is wrong. You ever been there? You just, they, they, they tell you the news. Well, you know, I, I'm sure everything's okay. I'm sure, yeah, I know, I know. I, I think everything's okay, and then boom, you hear the news. She tries to believe them, but deep down, there is that feeling something is wrong. She engages us at the level of our humanness. Our humanness. How we feel. But also, with that, could she be a mother who was a little selfish? Who had gotten used to the spoils that her husband had, or her son had given her. And uh, she was concerned a little bit about those spoils too. She might be wanting her son for more than just returning safely. In a world where just like today, if you know, we, we begin to let things become more important to us than people, then that happens. She might be wanting him for what he can bring to her. This woman was revered but also depraved inwardly. She was without belief in God, the God of Israel. Deborah, on the other end, was a mother that sings while this mother weeps. Deborah is a mother who is a believer in Jehovah God, and this mother is lost. So... May all of our enemies perish, it says in verse 31, O Lord. But your friends be like the sun as he rises in the night. And the land had rest for 40 years. Is Deborah thanking God for Sisera's mother being dead? Is she rejoicing over that? Is she talking out of, singing out of revenge? I think that this doesn't exclusively refer just to Sisera's mother. This is referring to not only her, but her son and King Jabin and, and all who participated in the oppression of Israel. You, you see, this is speaking to all the enemies of God. God has given us all a chance. They, they knew of Israel. They had uh, suppressed Israel. They had oppressed Israel. They had heard of their God. Even though it was in a, a, a warped 
view after they captured them and they saw them in rebellion and, and they saw that they allowed, they compromised their, their life with that of the enemy. But still they knew and they heard and they had heard of previously of this Jehovah God. But yet they had chosen to do their own thing. They were enemies of God. Their eyes, their hearts had not been enlightened as we talked about this morning. In the end, there are only two kinds of mothers. Those who are among God's people who rejoice and those who are among God's enemies who will face his righteous judgment. It is a difference between being like the sun as he rises in his might and perishing in utter darkness. Second, there's only one way to enter rest with God. Only one, one way. The rest is of salvation. We know that. Believing in God, trusting in God, knowing that he is a God of salvation. That way is, is by having peace with God. Jesus Christ, we know, gave, brought us the ultimate peace. What Old Testament saints were looking towards and we are now looking back at. And that is the cross. We were enemies with God, but through Jesus Christ, he has brought us at peace with God. Once we see that we are sinners and that we need to be saved by grace, they also needed to see themselves as sinners needing God, the God who is righteous, the one and only who could save. Just like in the New Testament, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become what? The righteousness of God but only in Christ Jesus. Outsiders during the day of Judges could only come into God's word by abandoning their past and seeking refuge in Israel's God. Isn't it the same way today? The only way that people can come to, to God's family, to be in a part of God's family, is abandoning their past and coming to God through Jesus Christ. That's the only way for rest. You see, the mother of Sisera was the outsider. The mother of Sisera was not at peace with God. The mother of Sisera was to face the judgment of God. But then we come to the last woman, Jael. The maverick mother also. Oh, she was maverick in a unique way. She was more complex and ambiguous than Deborah. She was a Kenite in Judges 5, 24. And if you'll look in, in verses 24 through 27, we'll read this. Most blessed of the women is Jael, the wife of Aber, the Kenite. Most blessed is she of women in the tent. She asked for water, or he asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a magnificent bow, she brought him curds. She reached out her hand for the tent peg and her right hand uh, for the workman's hammer. Then she struck Sisera. She smashed his head and she shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he bowed, he fell, he lay. Between her feet he bowed, he fell. Where he bowed, there he fell dead. Bobby, did you bring the pegs? No, okay. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I tell you what, 
the Kenites, first of all, let's look at uh, a little bit about them. They were a clan whose connection with Israel um, had a rather checkered history, if you will. Uh, they were descendants of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. And they had accompanied the tribe of Judah uh, in its battles to possess and occupy the, the, promise, the allotted territory in Canaan, the promised land. And had eventually settled among them in the dry Negev region in the south. And you find that, you know, we, we read that in Judges 1.16. Jael's husband, Aber, separated himself from the other Kenites, though separating or settling in the north. Now, where did he set, uh, settle? Close to the place where the battle was described in Judges chapter 4 and 5 and was later fought in 411. You can see this. Now there, Abra's clan attached itself to Jabin, the king of Hazor, who was Israel's enemy. He made a pact with them. You don't bother me, I won't bother you, I'll help you out, you help me out. And Jael seemed to be a rebel though she was a maverick she seemed to be her own person she refused to follow her husband and follow him in this betrayal of Israel and uh, to the singers of Israel Judges 5 she was a hero I mean we read that she was strong she was a physical person to take a peg and drive it through the enemy's temple into the ground it shows some strength. She, uh, she was very courageous because if she missed the target, you know what it meant for her. She was very hostile. She behaved like a mother up to a point. She uh, claimed Cicero's, uh, or she calmed Cicero's fears here. Uh, she tucks him in bed. She gives him drinks. She hushes him to sleep. And then when he's asleep, she nails him to the ground. Now, I'll tell you what. If she was my wife, I would ask her, what do you want me to do? I would sleep with one eye open, you know, this type of thing. But she is, she's seriously a dangerous woman there. But she is most blessed because she chose to stand with God and his people. She took risks for them. And it was to her that God gave the honor of striking, not to uh, Barak, but to her, the striking blow that ended once for all Jabin and Sisera's uh, oppression of Israel. What can we learn from these women? Well, one, Sisera's mother You need to be on the right side. You need to be a believer. Satisfaction will not come through worshiping other gods, other things. True satisfaction will only come through Jesus. But with the two mavericks that we were mentioning, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful, cheerful, cheerful giver. 
They did it willingly for God. How are we serving the Lord? Do we do it out of compulsion? Do we do it out of manipulation or from manipulation? Do we do it because we feel like we have to or if it's, that's the way it's always been? Or Was there a time, though, that we did it because we love the Lord? We love God and, and we did it to please God, and it brought joy to our hearts. Has there been things in our life that has taken, pulled us further and further away from that? Does that describe 2 Corinthians 9, 7, your heart, your spirit in service? Christ, you see, is not in the business of compulsion, is he? He's not uh, trying to manipulate people into ministry. He's looking for people who are truly committed. He's looking for people like uh, uh, Issachar, Zebulun, Naphtali, Barak, Deborah, and others. Are we rushing into battle at the heels of our Lord, following him? Like Deborah, honeybee. We are to be busy, efficient, and productive in the Lord. You see, Deborah was God's instrument to deliver a fatal sting to the enemy. And while she did it, as I said that she was a mother, that's tough being balanced in your life. Being a mother and also being a leader outside the home. She did it. If that describes her as being a mother, having those motherly qualities of leading Israel, are we balancing our lives as Christians? Or are we unbalanced, doing more of one thing than serving the Lord? Are we bringing our Christian life into all things and balancing it? Being a Christian at work, being a Christian at home, being a Christian around our children, not just in church, but at all times. Those characteristics. May all believers trust God with their lives, be used of God in whatever way that God so chooses to use us and may we obey instead of watching from the sideline like many of these tribes did or some of the tribes did in Judges. Let us follow the Lord and be right on his heels, faithful and obedient. Let's bow our heads in prayer.